Good. Well, afternoon, everyone. Afternoon. It's lovely uh, to see you. Lovely uh, to be with you. My name is James. I'm the curate's husband. So uh, it is uh, wonderful uh, to uh, to be with you. Hey. Oh, we won't start. So uh, it's wonderful to be with you. So um, as it's already been indicated, you'll know that we've started a series last week on wisdom. And um, the key thing is, is that the PowerPoints are going to act as my pointers, Nathan. Is that okay? So I will, uh, uh, if we could have the next slide, that would be fantastic. So um, last week we looked at, just as a reminder for those who, I mean, I, I, can, I can't imagine you forget what we say here, but just in case it slips your mind, uh, we looked at the difference between knowledge and wisdom. So we thought a little bit that knowledge are things that um, are right, whoever knows it, okay? So two plus two it's four things like that, things that are always right. Or, you know, the kid at the car, in the, those who went to school, uh, the kid in the classroom always knows the right answer and puts their hands up. So it's kind of knowledge is kind of permanent, and we can all have knowledge. In fact, there's a bit of a, you know, a crisis of knowledge, isn't there? Because, you know, we can all Google and find out what we hope is true, can't we? So, so knowledge is kind of there. We can all have knowledge. But wisdom, well, that's a very different thing to knowledge, Wisdom is a very different thing to knowledge. Knowledge is the stuff that you know. It's the kind of mastermind, you know, if you those who watch, still watch TV and things like that and channels. Uh, mastermind, you know, that they, they kind of, you know about this one subject. Wisdom is very, very different. And that's what we're going to explore. And we're exploring it through these wisdom books found in the Hebrew scriptures, these five little books tucked away there. So someone defined wisdom uh, like this, Eugene Peterson. That'd be great. Thank you, Nathan. And um, it's a lovely picture, isn't it? So you kind of feel it must be right with a smiley face. But he uh, said this. He said, wisdom is the art of living skillfully in whatever actual conditions we find ourselves. Wisdom is the art of living skillfully in whatever actual conditions we find ourselves. And I think that's a great kind of definition of wisdom. So what Eugene is saying is, is really, firstly, that wisdom is an art. It's not a science, where knowledge is literally a science at times. But wisdom, it's an art. It's not something you just kind of bought. Some of us are born with it, I know. But uh, uh, it's something that you have to cultivate and to develop. But also it's specific to each context. So it's a little bit like Jesus, who is a cheeky um, God chap. Uh, because often Jesus would say, aren't people asking the same question? And he gave one answer to somebody and a slightly different answer to somebody else. And that's wisdom. Because what Jesus was working out is, is what's right for you is slightly different than what's right for me. So it's that wisdom. So it's not like this is what you've always got to do. If you've ever had uh, kids or you will have kids, you'll notice they're all a little bit different, aren't they? Or, or if you just look at you, yeah, they're all a bit different. And, um, and where they get that difference, from is obviously not you, it's your partner. But, but, the, uh, but the difference is that you need wisdom and what's right for this child is not necessarily what's right for the next one and so on and so forth. You can't parent in a kind of like a textbook kind of way. It's like specific to each child. So, so you need that wisdom in how you parent each child. Wisdom is a bit like that. It's specific to each context in which we find ourselves. And so through these books in the Hebrew Scriptures, we thought about last week how it, to each of those books teaches something else about wisdom in difficult times. How wisdom teaches us about how to love, how to worship, how to suffer, how to navigate life. And this week, we're thinking about this next theme, which is about suffering and faith. Suffering and faith. Now, the good news is there's only a couple of things that are guaranteed in life. One is you've got to pay tax. Secondly is you're going to die. And third is you're going to suffer. So 
God be with you all. Okay, so, so, so there you go. Remember nothing else. Remember those three things. Um, so, but if you haven't suffered yet, I guarantee you will. So it's something to look forward to. So, um, so life is full of suffering. We know that, don't we? Not full of it, but it's a lot of suffering. And we've all suffered in this room. And sadly, we are still all going to suffer in this room. And it's even harder at times, I think, when the one that you love and care for suffers and you can't do anything about. That is just, that's really, really difficult. But suffering, when you're a person of faith, actually adds another dimension to it, if we're being honest, okay? Suffering and you don't have faith, it's, you know, either you can kind of wipe, you know, just ignore it, or you can kind of think, well, it's evolution, it's the way it goes. But if you've got suffering and faith, sometimes it's a great support. Other times, it kind of like adds another layer on it. It's like life's hard enough and then you bring God into it, and it's like it gets can get even more complicated. Looking at you, you, look, you don't find that complicated, but uh, um, but it can get even more complicated. So much so that actually, this is an area where we really do need wisdom because of the next slide. So here are two, uh, another two old white men to so see the theme, and uh, and so does any, anybody recognise any of them? Anyone? Looking quizzical, looking quizzical. So, so I let the person on the right, it's on the right for everybody, he's called Bart Ehrman, and the person on the left is called Jogan Moltmann, okay? So that's Bart and Jogan, and they're both still alive. Now, Bart Ehrman on the right, if you want to lose your faith really quickly, just read any of his books, and he'd do it for you. He's brilliant at that. Um, uh, so Bart Ehrman uh, was a, what's called an evangelical Christian. So that's kind of like, a, you know, a, 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 one of us, as it were, you know, a real believer and real, you know, believed in the Bible and sang worship songs and things like that. But Bart, when he encountered the problem of suffering, turned away his faith. Turned away, there's somebody just uh, there. Uh, turned away, we don't want to have to look, it's all right. Uh, and uh, when they come in, let's all turn around. And embar- no. uh, uh, so for him, the problem of suffering, you can read it, he had a debate with N.T. Wright, those who like uh, N.T. Wright. He had a debate, and the problem of faith, the problem of suffering, made him leave the Christian faith, okay? So the problem of suffering made him leave the Christian faith. And he's wrote uh, quite a lot of books on that, actually. And he's written lots of kind of critical books on the scriptures as well. They're absolutely fascinating if you're into kind of historical critical thinking and reasoning but um if you want to keep your faith i'd sort of stay away a little bit but anyway really interesting it has a podcast and everything very engaging speaker anyway i'm not promoting him but on the other hand on the left we have yoga maltman now those who went to kind of theological university and all that sort of stuff any rach did she's got an ma and everything rach did you come across yogan you did yeah tell us all about him no 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 sorry (laughs) Not enough time, yeah. Yeah, she, that's wisdom personified there in the right. So yoga moment, it's really interesting. And the reason I can't contrast these two, yoga and the problem of suffering led him to faith. For Bar, it led him away, but for yoga, it led him to faith. I think he's still alive. He's been in his 90s now. Um, he, grew, he grew up in Germany, and, uh, and at the end of the Second World War, I won't go into all his story, I've shared it at other times, but he was so despondent with the state of the world and so despondent with what his, his Germany had done to the world, um, he basically gave himself up. He got put into a, an English kind of... Uh, prisoner of war camp so to speak and as he as he arrived in there he got given a picture of the king and the bible you know two great british institutions and he read mark's gospel and when he got to the bit where it says we we'll look at this a little bit later my when jesus is on the cross and it says my god my god why have you forsaken me and he saw in his own words and i kind of bear with it 
God forsaken by God. It's a sort of gymnastics thing, but it, not, not a literal gymnastics, a mental gymnastics. Um, but it's a beautiful thing. God forsaken by God and Jesus dying with the words why on his lips. For him, I can worship a God like that because God's been there. Because that's what he's saying is why God? Why God? So for him, the problem of suffering drew him to faith. Do you see? It strengthened his faith and actually led to his conversion. For Bart, it drew him away. Now, I wonder if it's got anything to do with what they've actually suffered in life. <laughs> Perhaps one's really suffered and the other ha- uh, hasn't. But it drew him to faith. So when it comes to suffering, we need this little bit of wisdom. Next slide. Thank you, uh, Nathan. So before we do it, it's just worth noticing. We're going to dive in. We're not going to dive in. We're going to uh, skip around. <laughs> Skip around. Uh, we're going to have a little skip around the church, everybody. Uh, we're going to uh, skip around the book of Job. But it's just um, worth noting. So who here remembers uh, Billy Graham? Billy Graham, the, the last Christian leader not to have had a scandal. Uh, uh, you remember Billy Graham? So some of you may or may not know Billy Graham. He used to have the, he used to do these big kind of rallies. And his famous one, well, a famous one in Harringay in London where lots of people got converted. And I went to a Billy Graham uh, thing. I went, went forward. I didn't know why. But I went and loved it. It's fine. And he used to have this great phrase, Billy Graham. He used to say this phrase, the Bible says. You come heard that kind of thing or been in churches where the preacher says the Bible says. And he used to hold his Bible. No, it, it, he sounds, I'm painting him to be like a Bible basher. But he was like well respected. Kind of, you know, thousands would go there. And he'd hold his Bible and he'd say, the Bible says, da, 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 you know, you've got to turn. You, the Bible says, you know, that kind of thing. And, but some of you have been in churches where, you know, the preacher says, the Bible says. And you all right, I better do that and give all my money then or whatever. The, and so, but, but what's really interesting is, is it, and it, it really worked for Billy. And I ain't knocking Billy when I get to see him in heaven if I still, still allowed in after this. But um, if, you know, I'm not knocking Billy because he's been far more used by God than, than quite frankly anybody. But, but the interesting thing is, with suffering, it's not really the Bible kind of says this, and that's the answer. It's actually the, the Bible has lots of voices, okay? So it's not just this kind of one voice. It has, it's, it's polyphonic, isn't it, as, as, as Chris and Dave often talk about. It's multi-voice, okay? It's multi, it has lots of voices. So when it comes to the problem of suffering, there isn't one answer in the Bible, okay? Because remember, the Bible just means library. It's like a library of books. So originally, you'd come in, and there'd be a scroll there, and you'd have all the scrolls, and all the books in the Bible were kind of like scrolls, and probably because me and Caden were in charge of the scrolls, they'd be in a different place every week, and we would love it, wouldn't we? We'd be quite happy with that, <laughs> Okay, Kath or Dave would go mad at us, but we'd be quite happy, and it would make us make us laugh if nothing else. But but so they were they were like that. They weren't this kind. They weren't put in a book. They were kind of scrolls, and you'd pick it out, and 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 so you'd go to the book of Proverbs, and you'd open up the book of Proverbs, and you'd read it, and it says if you trust God, everything will go brilliantly in life. You think yes, I'll do that. I'll join a Pentecostal church. That sounds good. I trust God, everything will go well in life, and so you're buzzing. You're like yes, trust God, and we're like yeah, whoa whoa. Uh, but then the next week you pick up, we pick up the book of Job and it says trust God and everything will go wrong with your life and so you think I'll just ignore that one and I'll sit with Proverbs but you see there's lots of there's lots of different voices there's lots of different experiences of suffering there's not just one answer in the scripture which for me personally when I I find that really exciting and liberating because it just then I can sort of depends how I feel which bit I want to go with you know but actually there's a lot of wisdom in that because in itself, there's wisdom because it's recognizing for each of us, there are moments where you trust God and it will be okay, actually. Everything will be well. And there are moments where you trust God and, and it is, does not go well. It does not go well. And, and, and actually, when, you've got, when you have a, a, 
a polyphonic view of scriptures, you, you realize there are voices, particularly about suffering. Oh, I'm not doing anything wrong. Because sometimes you think you're doing something wrong, you know, because it's not quite going to, to plan. But actually, when you realize there's people like Job who trusted God and it all goes wrong. And there's Ecclesiastes where, where the preacher basically says, got no idea what life's about i've done it i've got no idea but you know what just just have a bit of fun but remember god and you'll get in you know it's all these kind of different kind of sort of a millennial kind of generation view of life isn't it It, all these different voices are really really crucial in the scriptures so when biddy says the bible says when we meet him in heaven we'll agree with him because he's biddy graham but privately we just we correct him okay so right okay so um next thing so we're going to focus in on the uh, book of job book of job and um the really interesting thing about the book of job is that um the other the other cheeky thing about the bible i'll just check my time because i'm uh, I've got tennis later. Uh, the other, the other cheeky thing about the book of Job is this, is that the way the Bible's put together, it starts in Genesis and it runs all the way through Revelation. So we would all naturally think, wouldn't we, that the first book in the Bible to be written was Genesis, wouldn't you? Uh, because it's at the start. I, you know, that's a natural thing to think, really. One would think that's how you would put a book together. Uh, but no, these are Christians who put these books together. Uh, and so, uh, and then in the New Testament, it starts with Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. And you'd think the first book to be written would be Matthew. No, it wasn't. It was actually, um, it was 1 Thessalonians. But anyway, so, so just to confuse you all. So the thing about this is, is that Genesis, I don't think, was the first book to be written in the Hebrew scriptures. Most scholars think now it's Job, which I find fascinating and makes much more sense of life because Job is all about suffering. Why is God allowing this suffering to happen to me? Why are all these bad things happening to me? And isn't it fascinating that one of the earliest accounts we have of, of literally of scripture, of, of written words in our universe, are people struggling with the problem of suffering and pain. We are so not alone in this. It is not a 21st century problem that we think, oh, you know, it's, it's really bad now. It is an ongoing problem. And Job, they think, was one of the first books of scriptures to be written. In that, we see him wrestling with the problem of suffering and the problem of pain. Now, if you've read the book of Job today, which I'm sure you all did in preparation, um, there is a lot of debate whether that's kind of, it's a literal book, because loads of, bad, loads of bad stuff happens to him, or whether it's a, a kind of parable. I don't think it makes much odds, really, in terms of what you get from it. Um, but I tend to think it's more like a, a parable, a kind of living story of people trying to put together this problem of suffering and this problem of pain. So this is the book of Job. So what I'm going to do, very briefly, because time is ticking away and uh, I've got to get to Wimbledon, we're going to just look at three things that the book of Job teaches us about suffering. So we're doing that remembering that there are other voices in Scripture, okay? So, that other, so this is what we're, we're honing in on Job's voice which we trust that the Spirit will use this afternoon. It might be another week we hone in on someone else's voice. Do, do, do you get me? So the first thing is this, is sense of mystery. Now, if you read the book of Job, he was like, he did nothing wrong, okay? He was like the perfect vicar. He did absolutely nothing wrong, okay? And he even slightly got concerned that his kids might do something wrong, might do. I mean, I don't know what his kids were like. These are kids he, he thought they might do. I mean, my, our kids never do anything wrong. That's why they're all... 
at home today. So, uh, no, they're not. Uh, but so he, and he even sort of did sacrifices just in case his kids did something wrong. So, so he's an ultra-religious man, and he knew stuff. And as you go through the book of Job, you, you, he kind of explains all the stuff he used to do. He used to sit at the gate and be the wise one. He used to give out justice. He used to help the poor. He was a real kind of social activist, you know, really a progressive chap, fascinating. And, and he had this great sense of knowledge about God. He did all the right things. He lived within a system. Do you, do you see what I mean? Like a, a way of worshipping God. If I do this, this, and this, then no bad stuff happens to me, okay? So I've given my life to God. If I do this, I obey my tithes, I do my sacrifices, I go to church, I say my prayers, I do the quiet time, I even listen, read Christian books, you know, and occasionally watch a YouTube video about Jesus, then I, everything will work out for me. That's the kind of person Job is. And Job quickly realizes that is just not the case. That is not reality. And then at the end of Job, God speaks. And it says God speaks out of this storm, which we're quite familiar with at the moment. And when God speaks, God kind of like between us, kind of shows off really. He kind of says to Job, where were you when I laid the foundation of the earth? And it's like, well, you've out, you've outgoded me there, God. Anyway, you know, he kind of just, just says all this stuff. And Job has to come to that point of realizing do you know what? I thought I could suss out life. I thought I could work out why suffering happens, why pain happens, why I'm like how I am. But actually, Job's thinking, there's a mystery about God. I thought I worked God out because I, I, you know, I had a great theology. I've read my Bible. I, I, I've done a degree in theology. Rachel's done an MA. You know, we've we got brains in this. But, you know, I thought we've sussed that out God completely. We've worked it out. But actually, through suffering, Job realized almost like you've got to give up on your ideas of God and then you really encounter God. It's a sort of a weird thing because he realized actually there's a sense of mystery about this that he just doesn't know and he has to learn to live with mystery. And that's something, particularly from a, if you're from an evangelical charismatic background, we're not very good at doing. We, we like to have it all kind of tied up. We like to have all the answers. But Job's experience of suffering is actually there's a sense of mystery about it and learning to live with mystery. So if you're going through suffering at the moment, you might know what is causing you that suffering. You might know that person, I mean, that situation is causing you suffering. But, you know, you might not know and you might not ever know. There's an element of mystery. You know, in Mark's gospel, the earliest gospel, Jesus dies with the word why on his lips. Why have you forsaken me? I mean, that's some way to go, isn't it? That is a heart-wrenching, painful exclamation of why, my God, have you forsaken me? The second thing we pick up from the book of Job, and it's really interesting, after he's gone through all this suffering, he comes out the other side and God restores him. It's really interesting. He begins to take risks. He takes more risks in life. Now, that's a really interesting, fun thing, isn't it? Because once you've suffered and once you've gone through some hard times, the thing you don't do is take risks, don't you? If you've, for example, if you've been really hurt by church, the last thing you want to do is go back to church. If you get really hurt in your workplace, you don't want to go back, you know, et cetera, et cetera. You kind of stop trusting the world, don't you? You, you kind of put the shutters up. Job does the exact opposite. After he's gone through all this suffering and this pain and comes out the other side, he becomes more of a risk taker. So he has kids again after all his kids had died. And that's quite, that's quite a risky thing to do. He, has those, he takes those risks. And then he names his daughters these really kind of dodgy names. You, you know, they're very kind of sensual names that you shouldn't be calling young ladies at that day and age. You know, I won't say what the names are. I was going to tease people here. But, um, but uh, partly because I can't pronounce them because they're Hebrew. But, uh, but you know, he, he, 
he kind of makes a, takes this big, big risk in living differently. And I wonder for us, when we hit suffering and we've gone through it, we need to think, come the other side, I'm going to take more risks in life. You know? I'm going to celebrate. You know, when, you know, we've had a fair bit of Ill, illness in our kind of little family life. And we're at the end of the day, it ends up just sort of celebrating and having a cup of tea together. You, you know, it doesn't say very risk-taking, but you, you celebrate those things. And you carpe diem, you seize the day because you quickly realize it's kind of like all you've got, really. And the last thing about Job uh, is, is this is that he sees Jesus. He sees Jesus. It's really, really beautiful. And, and lots of kind of prophecies begins to see Jesus. I'm going to end with this. There's a great story of Jesus. So Jesus is walking along. He liked to walk. He didn't uh, drive much. He, he, he's walking along, and he's got his couple of disciples with him who are like, like you know, vicars, curates, you know, whatever, ordinance. And they're all going along. They're all very excited. And, and uh, they're loving being with Jesus because he's healing people, raising the dead. He's doing cool sort of stuff. And it's quite exciting, walking on water, water into wine. It's like a permanent off-license. He's loving it. And so, so he's wa- walking along. And then they see someone who, who's, who, who's uh, unable to walk. And his disciples think this is a great chance to do a little bit of theology. So they say, who sinned? What's gone wrong? Is it his fault or is it his parents' fault? It's a great question. Is it the government's fault? Is it their fault? Is it the system's fault? Is it, you know, is it Virgin Media's fault? Whose fault is this? You know, what's going on here? And Jesus ignores their question and says, who cares? Let's heal this person and let's do something about it. At the end of the day, Jesus' voice as a solution to suffering in a way was, let's just sort it out. You can chat about it later, but in the meantime, can we, can we just help this person? Can we get on and do something and see if we can be helpful and useful to the world around us? And that's kind of living wisely. And that will be different in every situation, not to get exploited and walked upon, but that's living wisely, that kind of Jesus way. So it's a bit of Job of mystery, taking risks, seeing Jesus, and we're going to go for it like that. So you're ready to live a bit more wisely. You'll look very um, tired and wise uh, after that. So um, we're just going to have a short, really short time of, of prayer now. And the way we're going to do it is uh, Chris and Esther are going to sing some Teze chants for us, just as a way of reflecting perhaps on our own suffering where we need help or someone that we know and uh, that we love who need our prayers at this time. So they're just going to, yeah, they're very easy to learn. You'll pick them up as we go along. But let me just pray and Uh, before I hand over to Esther and Chris. Loving God, we thank you for all the different voices we experience in Scripture. And we just thank you for Job. Thank you for his life. Thank you for, Lord, what we learn from him today. Pray you'd help us to be comfortable with a bit more mystery of not always having everything sorted. And I pray, Lord, whatever we've gone through, that it won't stop us taking risks and enjoying the day and making the most of our lives living for you. And Lord, as we come to this short time of prayer, we just ask that your spirit would draw near to us. For those of us who find ourselves in deep suffering, would you bring some comfort and relief? For those of us who are holding others in our hearts or places that need your comfort, we lift them to you now through our songs and prayers. In Christ's name we pray.